Before we get into the episode, we want to let you know we are gathering another Attaching to God learning cohort. In it, you will escape your anxious jungles and avoiding deserts of faith and grow into secure attachment with God and with others. This is a one-of-a-kind six-week cohort combining recorded teachings and live cohort calls. So you can get all the details at embodiedfaith.life slash learning dash cohorts or see the show notes for details after the description. Welcome to the Embodied Faith Podcast. Today we're talking about leadership and the limbic system. Are emotions and moods contagious between people and maybe in groups? Why are we unconsciously drawn to certain people, but maybe repelled by other people? And what does this have to do with leadership? And what does it have to do with the church? As always, my name is Jeff Holskall, and this is the Embodied Faith Podcast. And we are brought to you by Grassroots Christianity, which is seeking to grow faith for everyday people. I'm really excited to have Mary-Kate Morris on the show with us today. She is the Executive Dean of Portland Seminary at George Fox University in Portland, Oregon. She's a professor of leadership and spiritual formation, as well as a spiritual director, uh, mentor and coach, and author of several books. Uh, Two of them are Making Room for Leadership, and another more recent one is Lifelong Leadership. Mary-Kate, welcome to the show. We're so glad that you're here. I'm very happy to be with you. Well, I've been looking, uh, you know, into a bunch of neuroscience stuff, you know, for several years. And I like talking about all these things. And But you proposed a topic that I hadn't been super familiar with, which was this idea of limbic resonance. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I looked into it a little bit. And I was like, oh, this overlaps a lot of stuff that I've, you know, looked into and talked about on this podcast, but not not as like, I think clearly. And so I'm really excited about this idea of limbic resonances and then what you're wanting to bring to it, which is a conversation about leadership, leadership, you know, in all situations, I know you and I particularly, you know, think about church leadership, I suppose, but this is true about all leadership. So could you explain what is this idea of limbic resonance? What does that mean? Well, um, i I, I believe that uh, God created us in God's image to be in community and to be purposeful with our lives in community. And so we have a special biological construction that allows for that. It's not just something that's in our head or in our like in a rational mind in our soul, but there's an emotionality to it. There's a, a desire, a, a pull, a call. And so our biology is constructed in order to reflect those different things. And part of the biology is that we have this limbic system. And this limbic system is the emotionality of, 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 of us. And it's where creativity and play and connection happen in us and actually pretty fundamental to our survival. And then, of course, we have the thinking part of our brain, the executive and the neocortex and all that sort of thing. But I think often when we talk about leadership, and, uh, and I'm particularly interested in how influence happens for people who uh, lead the church or parachurch organizations or trying to influence for Christ somehow, how that, how that happens, you know, what that looks like, and how do we unpack it in a way that we can observe it. And so studying the limbic system part of it sort of 
opened up uh, some clarity about how all that works because I could I could read about it in other fields and like, uh, but I you know how how do we see it happening in a social context? So um, pr- primarily um, in in us is when when we we're we're kind of open for connection usually unless we've been hurt or damaged uh, or um, there's been something that's happened to us so that then uh, we are closed to that. But a baby is fully open to connection. And so they're reaching out for their mother and it's mostly done through the eyes. Mm. Um, But also all the senses are engaged. I mean, it's a very uh, loaded sensory experience. And so the baby is very open to that connection and what they're, what with the mother and the, or the father, this limbic resonance is happening, this sort of connection and uh, where the baby is mirroring the parent and the parent is inviting the child in. And it's how the baby starts to understand who she is, how, how he fits into the world, all those, it, it just, and so as adults, some of that gets lost, but it's still there, very much so. And so unconsciously, I think more, I mean, uh, when we, for instance, walk into a room for the first time, our, our antenna are out and we are resonating to try to see how we fit in that room. Now for leaders, this is a really important um, thing to be aware of because it's not just you walking in your room with your position and your voice, but it's also walking into the room with your emotional self, this limbic self, and that you can walk into a room and be open, and uh, uh, or you can walk into a room to per- perhaps purposeful or distracted. Mm. Uh, and so people that are in that room unconsciously then uh, are a little more, less able to resonate with you. Sure. So you were saying, you know, like from, you know, infancy, we're wired for connection. Yes. And that's happening non-verbally, you know, with infants because they can't speak and whatnot. Uh, they don't know language and yet their bodies are soaking in this connection. They're like you said, their eyes are soaking in this connection. Um, their heart you know, heart rates and all the breathing rates, uh, all these types of things are creating these uh, connections, which is kind of the building material of our own emotional lives. And that all gets imprinted inside and outside of the the limbic system, your amygdala, thalamus, hypothalamus, which keeps all these really deep memories uh, for us. And they're all, so they all kind of get stored and shaped there uh, from childhood. And then what you're saying is, um, you know, I looked, up this, you know, some of these key words, you know, before uh, we got together. And there was this one um, author who said, well, you know, there's this idea of love at first sight. It's like, well, it's actually not love at first sight. It's um, limbic resonances at first sight with a certain person who came into the room and somehow your eyes and your body and your heart rate and your breath rate all synchronized. And so what we call love at first sight is actually this limbic resonance at first sight. And so leaders, um, can be in a connection mode or a protection mode, uh, as some people say, uh, and that affects kind of groups. So how does that, how does that happen? Like these nonverbal kind of spreading of emotions, you kind of, uh, 
hinted at that a little bit. How are we spreading these things around a room per se? Well, uh, people, uh, what we do when we walk into a room is we actually sniff bodies is uh, how I like to think. We, we are looking for signs and it's very implicit. It's, it's not, uh, sometimes we're aware of it and uh, we notice it, but usually it's uh, very instantaneous. It's also uh, contagious and uh, a social group is, look, is usually together around a certain identity or purpose. And so they're looking for certain things. So they're sniffing that out, in other words. And so they'll be making uh, judgments or decisions in their rational part of their mind. But the, the emotion of it has already happened. And once a once a person has made a decision about whether someone that's walked into a room is someone they want to engage with or not or is safe or not, once that decision has been made, it's 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 very hard to change it. Really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's I think it's very important, and this is I think what what Jesus was able to do is uh, Jesus uh, was always open. So he was alert to all that was happening around him. He came out of an embodied, uh, embodied, uh, a purpose of love, not of lead, but of love. And so for leaders walking into environments, even hostile environments, perhaps being able to, um, uh, reach for that, uh, resonance part and be open to it to come in so you're the one that it is in an open loop position so you come in warm you come in relaxed you so you're you're managing that that connection so it's not just a, a non-anxious presence as like friedman talks about right it's much more a deep centered um understanding that we are rooted in Christ and through Christ, we can have this in any kind of an environment, have this reaching for connection, this reaching for love. And when people, especially in our day, when people are so um, struggling with loneliness and distraction and, and separation and, and, and all these sorts of things that to have someone look at them And you have to learn how to do this so it's not, um, uh, you know, doesn't cross over its line into sexual because sometimes Mm -hmm. between genders, uh, that's another whole topic. I don't want to go down that road. Sure, (laughs) sure. But some it's unsettling, like eye contact can be unsettling for certain people. Yeah, for sure. Well, and in certain cultures, you wouldn't do it. Uh, But you still there's this sense of warmth and relaxation because you walk in wanting to have a connection because that's what people need. And it's through connections that people are changed. So what's interesting about limbic resonance is once you're in a resonating kind of a mode with the group, so they've, you know, allow you a platform or whatever, uh, you can begin to regulate the uh the well-being of the group through your own, which is why it's important. Because if you if you walk in with this understanding that um, I'm I'm open to connecting, you're resonating with other bodies can abs can regulate them and bring down the 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 drama 
that's mm-hmm. going on in a room. Not always, but but some. I, I often think of when the when Jesus was taken uh, out of the synagogue and they were going to throw him off the cliff. Yeah. And 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 he he didn't go. I mean, they stopped. What? Why? Why did they stop? And I, I just think it was a disruption of Jesus's quiet presence that he didn't get caught up and become part of that hysteria. Right. And um, that, that's a dramatic point. And I don't know if that always works, but it, it's uh, symbolic of the power of that presence to mm-hmm. regulate a room, regulate yeah. a room. And then actually after that, if that's done long enough, if there's a loving um open resonance over time, it actually changes people. In fact, the research has shown that people like in a therapist's office, that people are changed less by what the therapist says, but more they start to revise their emotion, emotional responses to match that of the therapist because they trust the therapist. Mm -hmm. And so then they, they start to match it. And that's how healing begins to happen. So for leaders, it's the same sort of thing. It's that being resilient and calm and aware of the emotional work that has to be done in order to help influence a group. Right. Well, there's been a a sea change over the last, I think, 20 years in training of therapists. You know, Freud, when he started, he thought that the, the cold, rational therapist was um optimal the the disengaged observer therapist uh but uh it seems like training has gone the exact opposite direction is that the therapeutic kind of alliance or situation is supposed to be um not emotional and certainly not sexual right like you mentioned but it's supposed to uh be um connecting of the limbic kind of uh emotional kind of centers of our lives and that true healing and transformation happens in that deep part of us rather than just through our thoughts and our brains. And I just want to point out one thing that you, you mentioned, uh, cause you're trying to be so positive, which I totally affirm. Right. But you can also have the negative limbic resonances too. Right. So if yes. some leader or some strong personality in a grumpy mood comes in, then it affects the whole group. Uh, you can kind of get um, which creates like a dysregulated state. So, and this is where the anxious presence, right? So Freeman talks yeah. about that, right? So an anxiety permeates the whole system. It does. Uh, and that's not just because someone says, Hey, our budget's really far behind and you know, or, or whatever, right. They're not just communicating ideas that create anxiety. It's rather their whole bodies are just, you know, spreading the anxiety around shifting behavior, collapsing bodies, lack of eye contact, tone of voice, all those types of things. So. Um, so what does this mean for you personally, you know, and this affects me also is, you know, you're, well, actually, before we talk about training of pastors, are there more examples or other ways in which we notice Jesus kind of modeling this, or you mentioned kind of, you know, how he walked through the crowd, you know, and kind of changed the atmosphere there. If you're going to be a little more charismatic, um, are there other kind of examples that you can think of or that you taught through? Well, I think all of Jesus's, all the stories in the gospels, you can see this reflected and how Jesus uh, 
managed himself, positioned himself. And I think there's two things that have to be balanced. It's not just going in with a sort of this open loop, I'm going to love you sort of a thing, you know, and just let it be a love fest. It's also very purposeful. I mean, Mm -hmm. Jesus was on a mission to accomplish the will of God, to be the son of God. And uh, so he had, there, there was an influencing factor in it. I think that's really important to notice so that when Jesus, um, so uh, for an example, uh, the woman caught in adultery is another, another really obvious example of how Jesus um, in, in a very hostile environment, how he stayed calm and and he he loved um, not just that woman because it could he could have said and done different things, but he loved that he loved everyone there. Sure. And he disrupted the uh, panic and the fear and the hostility by just simply creating space. Mm. You know that's when he, you know bent down. And I don't think he bent down to doodle in the dirt. I think <laughs> I think that's sort of overreaching the text, but I think he, he bent down. I think the, the, the weight of his love and the disruption of this uh, ugly thing that was happening to, to um, this woman and also just the path that these people were on. So, so then, then he was able to, uh, reach out and and he was all the way through even though he was open to what was happening he was purposeful in it sure and um so you there's an authority um that comes from out of love that you carry and uh go into are are in an environment i mean i've i've been in i mean i've been in places <laughs> Uh, in my own life where I've had to walk in or, or interrupt something with, and I'm not a very big person <laughs> uh, and interrupt something and hold my ground. Uh, yeah. I think an iconic picture of this, uh, there's a couple iconic is, is like Rosa Parks and, um, and also the man in Tiananmen square, Tiananmen square that stood there. I mean, there, there has to be more in you than just anger to be, sure. to have a quiet uh, response for the sake of doing the right thing. Mm. And, um, and so they were, they, uh, I, I think I see those symbolic as, as a uh, purposeful, purposeful love, you know, sure. purposeful love and disrupt for, to disrupt the fear that is a more uh, ancient and natural reaction. And we have people feed on it. They, You're right, Jeff. I mean, people f- use it in order to enhance their influence. They create fear and feed on fear. And that's all very emotional. So how do you counteract that? Yeah. And coming in angry and fearful is not... I don't think helpful. Right, right. Well, and we don't have to go down the whole like politics or even marketing and capitalism or consumer like, but they're all kind of trying to connect to your limbic system to try to get the money out of your hands and to try to get the votes. Right. So they're trying to play off those more um, 
protection-based responses that come out of our limbic system, which is, you know, fear, um, fight or flight, these types of things. But the limbic system is also supposed to lead us into connection. And that's where I think Jesus, and that's why I think people love to be around Jesus, um, which is the stories you get. Yeah. They're just like, and that his teaching had an authority that was above uh, the scribes and the Pharisees is not just because they're the words of God or something like that, but probably because he carried himself, you know, and we have like all sorts of non-scientific ways of talking about these types of things. Oh, he carried himself in a certain way, or he had a certain aura or, you know, all these types of things. And it's like, well, you know, you're probably trying to give words to this limbic response that you have to, you know, charismatic personalities and things like that. Yeah, and I don't, you know, I know that Jesus is often thought of as a charismatic leader, but um, I think I think sometimes uh, charismatic leaders do exist and do, and there are good things that come out of charismatic leaders. But I I also think sometimes that is so amped up. Sure, sure. That limbic thing, the the resonance and how they're trying to regulate that that's so amped up that it becomes that you become the center and mm-hmm. what you are doing is the center. And for, for Jesus, right. it was always about us, you know, willing to be that loving and purposeful leader for the sake of us. And so we model that. Yeah. We model it. Well, let's get into the modeling then. So for the us, for the training of like pastors and leaders, you're doing a lot of great things there at uh, Portland seminary. What, how has this kind of changed or shaped even how you think of this whole, you know, multi-year process of, of raising up leaders and pastors? Well, I, I think that some of the most important things that can happen in seminary education happen through connection and not through information. Mm-hmm. I think information is really great. I love it. Uh, UCL, <laughs> I, love, I love to learn. Right. I have. Uh, and sometimes the learning just flips your mind and just gives you a new understandings of things. But that deep transformation that changes me that comes through my connection with Christ and must come through my connection with other people. Right. And so being very purposeful to build connections in a classroom or in a learning environment is just as important as the information that's being shared in that environment. And it doesn't, I'm not talking about being touchy feely or, you know, all that sort of thing. I'm just, I'm I'm talking about creating a culture in which there is uh, an openness to it, where every voice matters, where um, the deeper questions that are, are, are sought, not just theological questions, but identity and purpose and direction questions. Uh, where people, uh, where you create an environment where people can bring their true self. Mm. They can show up not with the constructed self, which often happens in um, uh, training environments, seminaries, whatever. You bring a constructed self because you want to look put together and good. But to just be your authentic self and let every, if everyone's in that place, then it's astonishing there is then a work that begins to happen that's both communal and individual that is beyond our, our making. It's, you know, this, this, I believe that's when the Holy Spirit is optimally able to 
uh, work in people. I've, I have seen students over time, because this takes time, mm. in these kinds of environments, just really, really change. And you also then have to talk about emotions. You have to help them see, understand uh, what they bring, how they embody uh, and which is, you know, some of my writing has been, how's that, how do you observe it embodied when someone, um, and then how do you manage it? How does they become more like Christ? All of those, I think, are so important and need to happen in theological education. Mm, Otherwise, yeah. you're preparing people to replicate something. You're not preparing people to transform others. Yeah, so that deep transformation um, it doesn't just come through those ideas, right? And it doesn't come right. through techniques. The deep transformation for individuals and communities is is that retraining, training and retraining of that limbic system of your whole body, of your kind of mind, emotions, uh, spontaneous responses. And those, some people call that character. Uh, in other episodes, we've talked about like retraining the right brain, like we're so left brain information driven. How do we do these, you know, this it, other it, thing. Yeah, it's why I think uh, formation is spiritual formation because we're trying, what we want to do is shape someone to be like Christ, who is our perfect model. And sometimes we over spiritualize Jesus. So he's like, he's not our model, but I don't think there's any better model than Christ. Uh, and so uh, how do we, so we, so how do we create formational space so that those kinds of things can happen? So like at Portland Seminary, you have a form, you're form, formed every single semester. Every semester, you have a formation class that has a completely different pedagogy. The pedagogy is around creating these uh, connection and, trans, and deep conversation places of bringing authentic self. And because um, it takes time to do this, it's not something that happens instantaneously. Right. You can perhaps fall in love instantaneously, like you talked at the beginning of the show. But sometimes that works long term and sometimes it doesn't. It's hard to stay in love in that way over, exactly. for a long period of time. You have to train yourself. You have to practice. Exactly. Exactly. So for leaders and pastors, uh, you know, and this is not absolute, right? But, you know, for a long time, the model for training pastors was like, get the right information. Give right. them the doctrine, the Bible study tools so that they can give the rest of the church the right information. And the right information will transform our lives Unfortunately, especially in the West and America, we found that not to be true. True discipleship is not happening with just more information. And then we kind of, you know, with uh, the business shift and kind of a leadership yeah. shift, you know, it became techniques and uh, skills like, well, you know, if yeah. you do the church the right way, if you do these things, if you give people the right tools, then transformation, you know, and then it's kind of the information is one thing. And then there's these skills. But the truth is we haven't, you know, a lot of people can just do the skills or the techniques, even spiritual formation skills. Absolutely. I fast, I, I, I meditate, oh, yeah. right? Right. But they don't, there's still not that lasting transformation. And that's because, you know, like what you're saying, the formation needs to kind of go deeper. It needs to kind of move beyond the, the neocortex and kind of penetrate a little further down. So I'm really excited to hear that. You know, I wish, you know, 20 years ago, I was forced, you know, to take these formation courses. I kind of fell into the spiritual formation track you know, outside of seminary, frankly, which I'm grateful I did, but I'm glad that you are creating systems to make that like number one. So 
You brought up spiritual formation. So what would this mean for spiritual formation? So maybe we'll kind of shift from the leadership kind of conversation, but, you know, for practical everyday people, they're, you know, trying to grow in their love of Christ, love of others, or trying to read their Bibles or all these types of things. Like what does, how has this shift for you kind of affected some of those classical spiritual disciplines or the way you pursue your spiritual life? Well, I think when we think of spiritual formation and and um, and we know that's uh, being conformed to the image of Christ, uh, I, I I think we translate that into things behaviors that we do. Yeah, like you said, you know, I I fast, I read my Bible, I go to church, I serve, I tithe, and we go through these disciplines. The 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 disciplines can create habits, but they don't always. Um, they're 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 tools they're not the objective mm, you're and right. so sometimes these tools are helpful and sometimes so you have to put the tools aside um and uh what i find uh, my critique of formation uh in the west is that it tends to be very individualized about trying to reach for your your uh good feelings about jesus Sure. And it tends to be very uh, discipline oriented. And I think instead, uh, that's good. I, I, I'm all for that and teach that. But I think what also is critically important is the connection, the sense of connection that you have, that there's, you are resonating with others, that not, that you are, and it's not just a small group movement, like I'm in a small group and we talk and we pray, but that there, but there's a safe place, and which is what the lifelong leadership book is about. That that there is a safe place where I can be myself and really say the unspeakable. Yeah. If you don't have a place in your life, and I know sometimes we have spouses and things, but we need communities that mm. we can say whatever the unspeakable is in us. And, it, and I'm not talking about gross sin; it can just be doubts or struggles or depression or anger or all kind of thing because unless we can speak it out and we can have a community around us who will help us in the healing process i i i think we live a constructed life rather than an authentic life mm. and and uh, so i see formation kind of goes into that that larger arena of uh well not larger it's usually uh it's a, it's more it's more frightening. Uh, it takes more time and work, and reflection. But to have people in your life who are going to, where you can bring everything to them, then that allow again. It's it. I feel like we get shut up uh, mm -hmm. because we've closed these parts of ourselves, <laughs> like we need a good flushing. <laughs> When we have a place where we can speak our truth, our reality, it gives room for the Holy Spirit, I think, to move in and do the revisioning that needs yeah. to happen. Because the revisioning is not just person to person, very much so, but grace, I think. Grace is that revisioning that God does in us and changes us in ways, uh, helps us overcome things and changes in ways we never imagined. But it's because we've been opened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in groups are, I always, you know, tell whoever will listen, you know, like following Jesus is not uh, a solo sport, right? You have to yeah. do it in community. And that's because, 
Um, you need training, that limbic uh, retraining, revisions, where you have to practice in, sm- that, you know, and this is why small groups are important or family systems and things like that, where you're practicing um, how to do that and, and then giving real-time feedback about like, you know, how that was. You know, I was, um, you know, I got the real-time feedback that my body posture was very, off-putting to my wife early on in my, you know, my hands are on my hips. I'm not even, we're not even talking. We're not even in an argument. She's like, you look angry. I was like, I don't feel angry. She's like, but you, you look angry, right? So you, in community, you get the real-time feedback about what is my body expressing? uh, How does this fit together? Um, And then you get that, that, that retraining. And it, it, like you said, it takes a lot of work over time. And so to have safe communities, trusted people, um, they allow you to kind of, you know, fail at it exactly like your wife told you what you were unaware of and that just that simple gesture uh, of your hands on your hips um because i don't we don't really fully know how we think we know we construct a self but people are reading something different most of the time (laughs) right right (laughs) so yeah yeah, and and you need the you i also just want to add that just we just it's a balance between learning. I mean, the, uh, our, our mind and our habits and our 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 relationships and emotions. That all of those things work together. And mm. what we're trying to do, I think, we're in a period of time. Just your podcast. What you're trying to do, Jeff, is all about trying to bring perspective and balance so that we are more like Christ and less wobbled and reflecting the world more than yeah well and the more just to kind of end on this uh you said being more like christ you know and i always go back to romans you know 12 to you know to you know be conformed you know by the mind of christ so you'd be transformed all these types of things uh and the more i learn about the brain the more it's like oh the mind of christ doesn't just mean the ideas and thoughts of christ like what if that means the limbic system of christ and what if that means the transformation of like my emotions is part of having the mind of Christ and putting on Christ, you know, uh, all these types of things. And so, uh, yeah, this podcast is just that, you know, I called it embodied faith. Cause it's like, we got to take all this stuff really seriously. Um, as we follow Jesus, it's not just like, you know, doctrine. So beliefs. Doing, yeah. so well, thank you. Well, you too. I'm just kind of learning from people like you who've been doing it longer and just trying to connect with people. Well, is there anything else that you're um, just to finish off really excited about that you're participating in, in some of these kind of realms of the neuroscience and spiritual formation? Well, you want to tease us with all the cool things you're up to you and your school? Well, we are, uh, thinking about, um, well, we're not just thinking about, we're doing it, of uh, thinking of ourselves as a a seminary on the way with Jesus, that we have this imagination of of people on a journey, and we join people on a journey for that period of time, for risk and discovery and community, for deep transformation, so that when we continue on that journey, we are, we are, we are able not to just know things and do things, but, but be more like Christ when we Mm -hmm. leave. So we've changed how we deliver and how, how we've constructed our curriculum and also put more uh, of it throughout the curriculum, a focus on healing, because that seems to be the, 
need right now. So yeah. much people are hurting depression and, and all those sorts of things, especially among young people, those indicators are just going out of control. And so what can we do to resource pastors and chaplains and spiritual directors in order to have some of those mindsets and skills towards how to create healing environments? Oh, that's great. I'm a part of a, a dispersed religious order um, who's one of their core kind of rule of life is deep healing. Uh, and oh, so it's, you know, it's not just that you have silence and solitude. It's not exactly. just that you engage in work. It's that, are you working on your healing? I was so appreciative when I found that out. Um, and I'm sure you know this, I'm just telling this for all the listeners before Christians were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. So yeah. I'm sure that's where they you guys called. are going that's back to, right? People yeah, belong to the way. Well, so how can people find you and um, all the things you're doing and where you're at? Well, I'm at Portland Seminary right now doing an executive dean role. So that takes up a lot of my time. But I can be found just mkmorse at georgefox.edu or marykatemorse at gmail.com. So if you type in my name, you'll find me. Okay. Because I don't think there's other Mary Kate Morses in the entire world. No, there's not. And just for those who are listening, it's Mary Kate, one word. Mary Kate Morse. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And uh, you're not to blame, but this whole uh, limbic resonances put me on um, uh, internet search, which led to me buying a book. So my wife is not pleased that our podcast is, is leading to more book buying, but it was used. It was cheap. I think it's arriving today. So sometime today, I'm going to get this. What's the the, book? It's the general theory of love. I don't know if that was the was that the background of all the stuff that you learned from? Oh, she's holding it right there. If you're not watching this uh, on YouTube, she has it right, right there. Okay. Yeah, so, it's one of the most transformative books I've read. I read it years and years ago. Well, you kind of just pushed me to to get it because I, I had it like on a list and it was like bopping around in my brain. And then it popped up when I was researching for today's episode. I was like, well, today's the day I'm going to get it. I know. So, I, I uh, have my all my students read this book. Oh, good. All right. Well, I'll I'll be dipping into it soon. Well, thanks again. And uh, we should do this again sometime. Lord bless you, Jeff, and all that you do. Yeah. Thank you. Bye bye.